Hey guys, and welcome to the Grow Podcast. We are so happy that you're here. I'm Ashley, the host of the monthly grain segment of the podcast brought to you by the Landis Grow Solutions Center. Today, we have a really exciting guest to chat about managing risk with grain marketing during the future market fluctuations and how really just crop insurance plays into this marketing as a tool. So today I have Scott Stoller on with me. Scott is from Illinois. Scott is the founder of Stoller Grain Solutions and Stoller Grain Solutions assists ag perspective consulting clients in really finding the best outlets uh, for their grain and presenting their grain for sale to the end user. So Scott, I, I teed that up for you. Nice. Uh, that's off your website. So <laughs> uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And tell us more about your journey, you know, in agriculture, how you got here and more about what you do. Absolutely. So thanks for having me, first of all. I grew up in uh, central Illinois, a little, uh, town called Fairbury, okay. uh, grain and livestock farm. Dad was a Mormon's feed dealer for 35 years. And uh, we also had about 400 head of feeder pigs the hard way in barns. College through Illinois State. And I uh, worked for ADM for three and a half years out of college and then uh, got me to uh, northern Illinois, get closer to my wife's family, and ran a country elevator business there for 10 and a half years. And then uh, uh, started a brand new off-the-farm grain business about 10 and a half years ago. And then two years ago, my wife and I took the uh, journey to buy that part of the business out. And so, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been fun. I have a great partnership with Landis and uh, really looking forward to uh, what the next couple of years are going to bring. Yeah. Well, that was very quick, and I appreciate you being here today, obviously driving in from Illinois. Um, and we're excited. You know, Landis has had the opportunity um, over the last few years, right, to work and partner with different businesses, people like you, optimization partners. And we're excited just to have you here because of all of that. Yeah. Um, so before we dive in, you know, it's the time of the year. Mm. <laughs> How is planting looking kind of out your way? Uh, what are guys thinking? Well, let's start with, we're going to talk crop insurance in a little bit, but we had our first replant claim on Monday. Okay. So that means uh, we had a little too frosty, a little too frosty over the weekend, and uh, some beans just didn't quite make it. So you get in that Peoria, Illinois area, there's a lot of beans in the ground gotcha. to the tune of 70, 80, 90%. I'd say a lot of the larger growers in that same market will be done planting corn this week. Okay. Um, it's flat. It's black. You guys can go in a hurry. Yeah. It's... Uh, so it's it's going to be, uh, there'll be a lot in the ground. Of course, we got some cool temperatures. Uh, how are they going to like, uh, how, how's expensive corn going to like? Uh, 39 those? degrees. Yeah, yeah, that's probably not going to be overly good. But, yeah. you know, uh, guys, you just start looking at the calendar and it's like, okay, it's about go time here. So, um, but beans are the ones that are, are probably more realistically could get a little touched with frost here um, this week. It'd be on this week once again. Calendar says, let's go. Exactly. But, you know, it's crazy. Um you know, I was just chatting with some farmers and I'm like, you know, we the, the nightly lows are like 39 degrees for the next two weeks, which is just kind of nuts. But like you said, the calendar says we go. So. Well, the uh, <laughs> I saw a guy every day outside of my neck of the woods at uh, my, back, back, my back door that is putting a thermometer in the ground. And every day it keeps saying 40. <laughs> it's like, oh, it can't be good. We need some heat. Yes. Okay, well, diving in, uh, this is obviously the grain segment of the podcast, and I want to chat about a little bit what's going on in the markets, because that's obviously what you and I love to do, right, every day working with customers, and things are a little messy, I would say, right now. There's a little carnage. <laughs> There's a little carnage. Uh, <laughs> so I just want to think about, you know, this podcast obviously gets listened to by people in agribusiness, but for sure our, our producer members, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so I just want to give them a little bit of what's going on. Um, obviously know that as we record this today, this is the, the information, right? And so 
as we record this, you know, we just talked about planning progress. Um, we've been seeing the, the weekly crop report progress, you know, saying that we are above average on mm-hmm. corn and soybeans, um, which is probably agreeable to, to your point and to my point. But I mean, it just seems wild, seems early. Um, so, you know, I think we're we're one digesting that news, which is definitely not not bullish for the market uh, as far as the farmer standpoint go. Um, and then one thing I, I definitely want to mention and maybe chat a little bit about is, you know, we saw a large corn export sale canceled yesterday from China. Uh, obviously not bullish for the farmer either. So yesterday was it was kind of a, a doomsday day on yeah. the board, right? <laughs> well, and, and actually in the market, reacted fairly well by the close. So yeah. you, you that's good. It is. Um, at the end of the day, though, we've spent really two years at, at some fairly high profitability levels if a guy had an, AP, an average yield. Mm-hmm. Um, now I know in the western part of the territory, southwestern part of the territory, uh, not necessarily a, as good of a crop as the rest of the state. I, mm-hmm. I get that and feel for those guys. Um, but, you know, eastern Iowa, most of the state of Illinois, most of the state of Indiana, most of Ohio had really towards record of a crop. Yeah. And so what's left out there is uh, uh, anytime we touch above 650, Cash corn, I would let everyone wants seven, everyone wants 750, everyone wants a magical number. At the end of the day, if we can sit back and go, hey, you know what, at 650, and I had 210 bushel anchor, 190, whatever your APH is, and you go, you know what, I'm comfortable with that. Yeah. And I make really good money. Yeah. And then so you go, I'm out. And, and you go, yeah, I can be comfortable with that. And that's, that's tough to do, though, because, mm-hmm. you know, you get to this time of the year, and it's like, okay, June, July, we got that normal weather rally that would happen. Well, you've got last year's crop to sell. You got next year's crop to sell. It's going in the ground right now, or is in the ground. Yeah. And you got twenty four that input prices are going to be available probably in two months. For sure. And so you got to go. Okay, it's really hard to think about the twenty three crop when you got the twenty two crop on your mind. Yeah. So at some point in time, you got to get on the other side of the bushel. You do. So. Yeah. And I mean, from your area standpoint, right? One thing we talk about here a lot is farmer receipts. Yeah. Um, and commercial receipts, but but for this podcast, you know, let's focus on farmer receipts. Um, feels like a lot of my customers are like at their bin bottoms. Um, would that be the same in your area? Yeah, you've got a huge, and so I, I cover Illinois, but I also have a grain dealer's license in Indiana. Mm-hmm. So I see it a lot of all the way to the Ohio border. And the this year, uh, Illinois corn is getting yanked your direction. It's all mm-hmm. coming west. Uh, those BN shuttle shippers that Landis has, they're, they're reaching into Illinois and grabbing stuff too. Yeah. And it's been consistent. Uh, I remember talking to one, one rail loader in, uh, at the grain and feed association, uh, meeting, we had dinner, uh, back in the end of February and he goes, we're averaging 12 trains a month. Yeah. He goes every other day we're loading a train. That's so cool though. I and, mean... But that's 400,000 bushel clip leaving oh, yeah. the door. Leaving. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I would concur in Illinois, we're going to be pretty thin. Yeah. Um, you get around that river market, and that's the reason why you see these inversions doing some stupid things right now. There's not a whole lot of movable stock on the on that river system. Mm-hmm. Now you go to Indiana, different ball game. Yeah. Southern Michigan, different ball game. There is a lot of stock there. Really? So what's driving that? I mean, one of their largest corn crops ever. Okay. Okay. And so one of their largest bean crops ever. Okay. Um, they could generate the cash flow in beans at harvest. Uh, and so they generated that. Beans moved early. The commercial bought early. Your uh, processors, your bungies, um, they were a big buyer at harvest with huge length in their position. Okay. 
And then you got to post-harvest and the country elevators that took on, uh, I mean, we had basis levels that fell 40, 50 cents really? in the middle of harvest just because the, the elevator had to drop their bid to try to create space. Yeah. At, uh, one elevator, small elevator I sell to, uh, he put, I think it was four or five tin cans worth of beans. Never has done that before. <laughs> That's crazy. And it was it was in places it really didn't need to be. Yeah. Um, so it, it's there was just a lot of bushels there, mm-hmm. and so they're flowing this way. Uh, but there's the the carry out at the end of the August will be in places that it hasn't been at least in ten or fifteen years. Okay. And so with that, right? Like, let's talk about something that the farmer loves to talk about this time of year, which is basis, right? Um, so the farmer continually, every single day, asks me, what do you think we're going to be paying basis-wise in July and August? Obviously, you and I don't know that. We can speculate and, you know, gamble all we want on that. But, you know, I think the point that I just continue to try to drive home with our farmers is it doesn't matter because you're not hedged, right? And so um, it's just like, I feel like that's that's been my job lately is mm-hmm. to is to have this push and pull with the farmer on risk management. I mean, yes, there's probably going to be huge potential for basis gains um, in most of Landis territory, but I loved our merchandiser gave a beautiful example the other day. And he said the Chicago Board of Trade dropped eight cents on July futures. Meanwhile, you know, a large end user moved their basis up five cents. You lost three cents. And so I was just like, man, that is the story right now. Uh, So, I mean, touch on that a little bit. I'm sure you'll fight it too. Uh, So... Go back to the basics of what is basis. And and so my mentor in the grain business was from Sandersville, Georgia, and big old Southern drawl. And it makes a lot more sense with the Southern drawl, but I'll, I'll, I'll use a pretty well uh, Midwest twang of uh, base, all basis does is moves, moves grain from where it is to where it ain't. Mm-hmm. And that's all basis does. To get caught up in the minutia of, of what happens, you can't give the banker a basis. You can give the banker a cash check. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. So if you get to $7 by having a dollar over basis and six bucks on the board, great. If it's $8 and a dollar under basis, still seven bucks. Still seven bucks, yeah. And so at the end of the day, what is that cash price going home? Mm-hmm. That's all that's going to matter. Now, there's opportunities to do some weird stuff. I get that. But uh, there's also, once you get to a profitability level where you go, um, I'm making pharmaceutical type money. From a return on investment standpoint, that's not normal, it, yeah. it, and, it, and it won't stay here because it's so risky, yeah. right? I mean, there's so much risk right now, and um, you know, it's always my reminder to my to my customers of like, okay, we are not supposed to be professional gamblers. Are you above break even? Probably. Yeah. You know, let's maybe take some more risk off, unless you're at your like what I love to call bonus bonus bushels, right? Yeah. Then fair, you gamble away. Well, I, I got a call from a grower in February. Awesome guy. He was in Florida, uh, and he would be in his uh, early mid sixties, mm-hmm. and uh, has done has done really well over the years. Uh, and he called me and goes, "Well, what do you think?" I said, "Well, corn at your local market is still six ninety, and it's been six ninety for a long time." I said, "It was six ninety at harvest. It was six ninety in December, and it's six ninety today." And I said, "What?" I said, "What? What?" He goes, "What do you think?" I'm like, "It's still six ninety." <laughs> and I, he goes, no, and he goes, what, what do you think? I'm like, yeah, we got a chance for, for a run of some magnitude. I get it. I said, but l- let me put it this way at seven for easy math at uh, $7 corn 
And uh, I believe they had uh, their yield this year was about 268. And so it's about $1,800 an acre gross. I said, have you ever grossed that much? He goes, never, ever. I'm like, okay. I said, if the market goes down a buck, you lose $268 on from what the board price is today. I said, uh, oh, that's like what, 1500 and some odd dollars, $1,530. He's like, yeah. I said, is that the most money you've ever made? Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So I said, it doesn't matter what I tell you to do today. You're going to make money. If it goes back to 550, you're still going to make money. You had great yields. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, there's times where prices don't matter. And in, in this, in some, in some markets, this is that year. Yeah. It's weird. It, and it's, it is it's, weird. And I just think it's this like emotional best, yeah. right? Which, which we're all competitive. We are. <laughs> and, and I get it. And that's what we do for, we want to do that for a grower. Exactly. Um, that each of them we work with, we want to make sure. And, and I get paid from a consulting standpoint to do that. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day though, is, is, as you sit down with a grower and go, what's our goal? Yeah. If our goal is to, uh, um, make a lot of money, it's not a goal because it's not attainable. Yeah. There's no such thing. Yeah. You're searching, you're just dro- grasping at straws. But at, uh, when you back up and go, okay, my goal is to uh, make X amount. Perfect. Now we have a, now we can put it on open order and go, exactly. let's do this, this, and this, and let's see if we can get it for you. Yeah. And maybe we can do it through a basis contract and then sell the futures later, or we can do an HTA and set the basis later, one way or the other. Yeah. Or just sell cash and be done. Exactly. <laughs> okay, well, I I hope our listeners enjoyed our marketing rant. Uh, but right, like you've got two merchandisers originators here. Like this is what I live for. So well, and, and let's and let's back up. This is a this is a two year issue, right? Or two or three year issue. Uh, well, fast forward in two thousand twenty three. Um, it, it's it's not as pretty. You you cannot yeah. uh, it, you put cost of production down on paper and go. You know if you're a if you're a two twenty-five to two fifty yield type of person, you've probably in in your land costs are three three fifty an acre. You've got twelve hundred bucks in this thing. Yeah, and that's why I mean I don't know about your guys's right operation, but I am getting increasingly worried about the lack of interest in twenty twenty four when it comes to decent Nove. Um, and you know here I am like just trying to poke a bear with twenty twenty four when it comes to our customers. Yeah. And and they somewhat laugh at me, right? Because the levels aren't where they are today. But um, it, it's a scary thought to think about that you know, most of them aren't engaged, yep. let alone, you know, they aren't engaged in 2024, but they're really not engaged in 2023. Right. Crap either. Yep. Uh, which is, is is really scary. We talked about this yesterday in a, in a prep call. The uh, This is probably the least amount forward so, sold in the industry since coming out of the uh, uh, 2012. And, uh, you know, that was a, a great farm income year for a lot of guys. Uh, and that was through crop insurance. Uh, harvest prices were 790 or something like that and gave guys a nice opportunity and, and some good checks from that. But the, for the 2014 crop, guys didn't sell the head. Mm-hmm. Well, if it's this, it's got to get to this. Well, it doesn't have to do anything. Yeah. And if you've got time and equity on your side, you can bear that. Yeah. But if you don't, and most guys have a uh, have a lender to answer to at some point in time yeah. in their career. Mm. It, it makes it a little more difficult. It does, and you, and you know, to your point, and then we're going to move on. But um, I always love right working with some of our 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 producers that have been in this business for a, a long time. Yep. 
right? And and they're not making decisions actively. And I always just like to like push them to push this to them, right? Like, how would you be making decisions differently if you were still running and operating now, yeah. or if you were twenty six just starting out? Yeah. Well, I'd be way more aggressive. Should we be? You know, should we be? Um, and so I always kind of love load that back to them. <laughs> no, no, but we, that, that's one we this that topic we could go on for hours. Oh my gosh, so. we could. All right. Well, one of the main reasons why we brought you in, um, which I definitely want you to to clarify some of this for us as mm-hmm. well. Um, but you obviously do a little bit of crop insurance on the side of you've got your license to really help producers make decisions. You don't actively sell, correct? Correct. correct. Um, but you just. What a great tool for your, you know, customers to have as a resource, right? You're able to answer questions for them. Well, as, as uh, you know, from, from a standpoint, as we look at 23, as we look at 2024, and you go, what is the most advantageous and, um, you know, economical way to hedge the crop mm-hmm. is, is really what it's about. And you can, you can rewind back to August of last year. Uh, there was a product that was called Margin Protection. And, and we'll dive a little bit deeper into some of this in a little bit, but there's a product out there and that's 16 months ahead of when your harvest is going to be for 23. Mm-hmm. And that product was available and you could set a futures floor. Um, and so is that a futures floor that matters? Well, it was somewhere with a deductible about 560 was the floor for 23. Now you're like, well, it's Marcus below that. That doesn't look half bad. Yeah. Um, at the time it's like, oh, I want it to be six bucks and, and that sort of thing. But so you, you find ways of, okay, how can we bring crop insurance and go, is it better just to sell grain? Is it better to have a crop insurance policy in place that gives you time? Mm-hmm. And, and that's a lot of what crop insurance can do. If you've got the right policy in your pocket, then you've got time where you can go, you know what? The market's at 550 today or sub 550. I don't have to do anything. Yeah. Um, but then all of a sudden it goes to, and, and here's a great example. Go back to COVID, uh, 2020. We went from what somewhere February March we were at uh, uh, just shy of four bucks. It's not talking about those numbers again, but just shy of four <laughs> bucks, and we fell down to uh, like three eighteen somewhere. In that, in, in old crop was even cheaper than that, but new crop fell down like three eighteen. Uh, the guys we work with had crop insurance policies that had a floor at like uh, three eighty, and so you're just sitting back going, "I don't have to sell anything in the midst of this." Yeah, just been protected, and I can just let it go. And if we get back, you know, their their issue more so was what happens if we go from 318 back up to 380? I lose my indemnity payment. So is there a way to hedge that indemnity payment? Yeah. And so that's that that's probably for another conversation. But that was that was a a really cool opportunity to how you use your crop insurance uh, as a floor, and gives guys an opportunity just to step back and go. Everyone everyone's freaking out about corn being sub 320, and we don't have to do anything. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, one thing and and there we probably have multiple you know, multiple avenues of producers here. But, you know, I think about so many producers who would even have no idea that something like that exists. Yeah. They just know that they've got to go through the USDA to get crop insurance and then they, you know, maybe are looking at a private program, right? But they have no idea really sometimes how to utilize that. I mean, it's just like I, I buy crop insurance because that's what we do. Yeah. So it's interesting. And I want to dive into some of this. So um, you gave us kind of an overview. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked a little bit about, right, how we use crop insurance as a marketing tool a bit. Mm-hmm. 
um, we chatted yesterday, as you mentioned, to prepare for this episode. And you said something that I really, really loved because from an origination standpoint, it was great. So you said the most economical way for the grower to hedge the crop is really by kind of looking at crop insurance. Yeah. So you've got, you've got different avenues. You've got, you know, when you look at the segments of your business that you're going to create cash from, um, it's going to be through selling the cash grain. Mm-hmm. It's going to be by hedging the grain through, through crop insurance or protecting your floor with a crop insurance policy, or it's using futures and options. So a brokerage type account. Yeah. Those are your three modes of protecting price. Uh, crop insurance obviously protects yield as well. If you're into a, a, a revenue protection, RP type policy, mm-hmm. um, and margin protection, same, same type of gig. Uh, but when you look at, you know, just a yield only type policy, you know, that's yield doesn't bring price into it. So you've got all this gamut of different federally subsidized products mm-hmm. that most growers take. I think it's 90, it's in the low nineties percentile of all growers across the U S take that, um, side note, Canada, um, the, uh, Canadian government subsidizes up to 60%. Huh. So as the, as you look around going, okay, I can get a federally subsidized product all the way to 95%. Now you're paying a lot between 80 and 95% too. Yeah. But Canada's only 60. And uh, then there's private products above and beyond that. Okay. That are based solely on how good are you at growing the crop? So interesting. So that's, that's so crazy. And like, how do they justify that? You know, which and, is and do we, nuts. do we go that way someday? Yeah. It, it, it's, you know, I do everything I could to be a good steward of my, uh, of the soil, a good steward of my land. And I, you know, the, the number one overarching thing for, for, uh, growers in Canada, and I'm mainly talking corn beans, I'm not mm. and all the other crops, yeah. but, um, for yields, when do they plant? If they get the corn, corn beans in the ground early, they will have good yields. Yeah. That is the number one overarching indicator of how good of a grower are they? And so down the road, do we get to that? You know, yeah. you look at the sustainability side of what's coming. That's where my mind goes. Yeah. How do we tie sustainability in with, yeah. Well, I think it's going to go there. It's just when. And how. Uh, and how. And is it, is it, uh, does land, is, is Landis a big part of that? And they are through some of the different uh, relationships that, that Landis has. Yeah. But is it going to be through a federally subsidized product? Is it going to be yeah. a private product? What does that look like? Is it, does it come in a sense per bushel? Um, does it come in dollars per acre? Sure, yeah. None, none. That's so unknown today. Yeah. But it's a good point that, I mean, we, we've got to be thinking about, right? Yeah. And, and guys want to be, you know, a lot of, you look at, uh, you know, I, I've been in the business for 24 years, I guess. And you kind of see the growers that maybe aren't the best agronomically. I got sorted out in the, call it 2004, five, six type time period because, and prices were rough. Mm-hmm. 06, we had our first bump up to, uh, I think it was in the two nineties, uh, and then uh, it came back down until we got to oh eight again with the with the ethanol boom, okay. and and that wave is 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 really uh, gave guys the opportunity to stay in the business. But we're really getting to the point where you've called a lot of the growers that maybe you know weren't the best at being agronomically sound, mm-hmm. and now we got really good growers that are agronomically sound for sure because you have to be. And yeah, yeah, correct. And and as we move forward, you look at this year's profitability for 23, it's going to, the potential to be so tight if we stay in that 550, you know, five and a quarter to 575 area, there's a lot of growers won't make money. Yeah. Yeah. And so you go, okay, how do they differentiate themselves from there? Well, do they have an off the farm job. 
do they do tiling? Do they, do, you know, do they do something else or are they just really good at producing a crop? And if you're really good at producing a crop, then you're going to, you got a good chance of winning. Exactly. So one thing as an originator, I hear a lot, especially kind of this time of the year <laughs> is, Hey, I'm not selling new crop futures, right? Those values are like we talked about below my crop insurance value. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I understand that that's a completely, totally valid point. I mean, talk to me a little bit more. Is that is that truly as good as it sounds? You know, other than, what, four times in the last 25 years, there's been an opportunity to have a crop insurance policy that is profitable mm-hmm. right out of the gates. Other than that, it's not. So 70, 80% of the time, you're not, you're not going to be profitable with where your, where your price floor is. It's not meant to be that anyway, yeah. and really it shouldn't be, but it's not meant to be that way. So it's meant to be price protection. It's meant to be yield protection was at least the premise behind, you know, the, the crop insurance system, at least. We, we, as originators and merchandisers, we throw the term the market around a lot. Yeah. And the market, meaning the market makers, so hedge funds, index funds, commercials in the industry that they use as a hedging mechanism, unfortunately, probably don't really care where that break even is. And so, and that's the tough part is, is uh, we use the board of trade as just a hedging mechanism from our, from our side of the industry and same with the grower. And so by doing that, it really gives a grower an awesome opportunity like the last three years. And then there's opportunities where you get in a calendar year, you get three chances. And if you don't have it teed up and ready to sell in those three opportunities, it's going to be a tough year. Yeah. And they're gone. Yeah. So it, it's unfortunate. And w- so what do you tell a grower? I think was your original question. It's just know where you need to be to make money. And really it, where your break even's at. Yeah. And, and crop insurance, other than just providing a nice floor, I, it is, that's all it really is to, to start with. Now you can trade around it. You can hedge around it. You can do a lot of different things, but at the end of the day, your paycheck comes from cash grain. Yeah. Back to cash grain. <laughs> it all circles back. Uh, so with crop insurance, right, I want to get into a little bit further of a rabbit hole. Yep. Um, the farmer, right, obviously either has to choose ARC or PLC first with the USDA office to enroll in. Um, so let's dive into that a little bit more. Um, so we've got two options, and you, you chatted with me a little bit yesterday about the two options. Uh, give us, you know, you said it's, we got to make sure that we talk about this for ARC and this for PLC. Yep. So you look at there is some some really good county-based programs through the FSA yeah. uh, on the, on the, to up your crop insurance level. And so if you take PLC, you have the opportunity to be involved in those programs. If you take ARC, you don't. Mm-hmm. So at, at the end of the day, PLC at least gives you that tool to go, you know what, I want to take an SCO type product, which is county based. You can take up to 86% and do some things like that. And that's the avenue that, you know, some opportunities that some guys would, would take advantage of. And, you know, I'll take a 70 or 75% revenue policy for myself, maybe units, an enterprise unit of your whole operation or some optional units. If you got some, some ground, that's a little tougher in some different areas of the county or different counties, you can do that too. But at the end of the day, it's, uh, okay. If I, I can take that SEO product, you also have the, the ECO type product where you can take all the way to 95%. Uh, we've got a lot of growers that took it to 90% this year and was just a nice, revenue floor at 90%. But a lot of those programs are, you know, you have to just know our PLC starts that decision process and, and, and goes from there. Um, around that same time in, in February and March is when the growers making his spring crop insurance decisions as yeah. well. 
So March 15 close date for crop insurance. So uh, it'd be the December and, or November futures in in the month of February, the average of the month of February. And so you've got that to take too. And once again, majority of the country takes a revenue policy mm-hmm. for their own operation, not a county base, just a that, or their actual operation. To go a little deeper, the majority of ag perspective clients um, have a margin protection policy, which would be MP. The rationale behind it's a federally subsidized product, 16 months of advance of harvest. So last September, our, our growers were buying this for the following 23 crop. And it's it's a very economical way to hedge the crop before you know much at all. So do I have nitrogen bought? Where's my seed cost going to be? Um, a lot of that's known by September, should be. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's a lot of nitrogen lockdown. There's, you know, you could have some dry fur on already yeah. uh, if you got an early crop, but it's just making sure that, okay, would I rather sell futures? So corn at the time was about, um, I think in August, December 23, corn was a 630. So at 630, I could do that, or I could take a crop insurance policy that's going to be more than I normally pay for, for RP. Yeah. There's no doubt that it, it is definitely more, but you're protecting time, a lot of time. And you're giving yourself the opportunity to go, I can sit back and not have to do anything. And you know, like to your point, right, you know so many or at least a handful of your really key agronomic inputs, which is huge. Yeah. And at the end of the day, our role is to make sure we help our growers run their business. And it's a family farm and we want to, we always want it to be a family farm because that's really cool. We, the Landis does well with a family farm. Uh, Stoller Green does well with that. You know, our Agriculture runs really well around the family farm, mm-hmm. um, but you still have to run it like a business. You do, and sure. at the end of the day, if we can help our growers, you know, whether you're a, a 600 acre grower or 6,000 acre grower or a 56,000 acre grower, it's just finding ways to make sure that that is a business. At the end of the day, that you know, maybe for tax purposes, you didn't make a whole lot of money, but at the end of the day, you're profitable. So you you touched on something that I want to dive into, Max. You made the comment that, you know, a lot of customers in Illinois are taking, you know, maybe like a 90% revenue protection um, percentage, and it's lower typically here in Iowa. Why is that? Tell us more uh, about that. So we're a couple of the areas we work are, we're a little unicornish. Okay. And those because unicornish. That, that, I love that. That is not the norm in <laughs> Illinois by any stretch of the imagination. So growing up in, in central Illinois, um, it's RP. I mean, when I, when on my farm that I had with my dad, um, I was the first customer of my uncles who sold crop insurance as well to uh, um, take out an MP policy. They're like, can you tell us more, a little bit more about what this, what this is? <laughs> Why, you don't have anybody else doing it? No, no, we don't. And so, no, it's it's different. It, it's it's because you know, for the most part, it's we try to educate our growers. Once again, is it economical? Is it the most economical way to hedge? And you go, if you would compare the price component of that margin protection insurance, or even ECO when you get to uh, uh, February March, mm-hmm. that component of how much how you know how more the more often the claim hits between. That 100% level down to that 90% level mm-hmm. versus an 85 or a, uh, a 75% policy for revenue protection, you're just not going to trigger a claim very often. Got to. And you're paying more for the product accordingly mm-hmm. uh, because of that. But just the actuarial tables, you're just not, it takes a really tough year. Yeah. And you don't want that anyway to, yeah. to get paid that way. Um, so at the end of the day, it's 
okay, we want w- within our grower base, at least and for, for Ag Perspectives clients in Illinois uh, and Indiana, it's okay. Are you comfortable with this? Do you want that hedge in place? And uh, some say yes, some say no. And, and that's part of it. But we just want to make sure that uh, um, our growers are fully aware of what's available. And that's, and that's a lot of the issue. Selling crop insurance in September is really tough because the growers hit in the field. Yeah, they're not engaged in that mode of business yet. No, in a lot of <laughs> in a lot of agents, just that's not what their mindset is in that time of the year. And this product came out, was it 19-ish, maybe 18, sometime in there. And so switching that mentality of having that sales close season at that time of the year, ooh, that, that one's pretty brutal. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, well, kind of wrapping up here, um, anything else you want to add to make sure that that our listeners know about when it comes to you know really using crop insurance as a as a marketing risk management tool. You know, one thing to keep keep in mind with crop insurance, you have um, in relation to options like board of trade options, there is a put as part of that. So if the market goes down to three bucks, you do have a price floor, mm-hmm. but also you have a call. So if it goes higher, if it goes to eight dollars like it did in um, two thousand and thirteen, you you have that too. Yeah. So you've got that set, you've got those, the optionality based in your crop insurance policy. Um, when you see extreme moves, that's when you have the opportunity to use, use those versions of the put and the call inside that policy. Um, very few times do you see that big a move. You know, even what's funny, even you go back to uh, history from 1990, here's the gray in my beard, from 1990 <laughs> through 2006, the average price move in the calendar year was 82 cents for corn, mm. which seems like a lot because when you look back and prices seem like you moved from a dollar eighty to two twenty, but no, it was 82 cents was the contract move. We were very rarely even seeing that today, mm-hmm. and so it, it's it's we're probably going to go back to some some semblance of volatility again someday, and when we do, is it 82 cents or do we widen that out to a buck thirty, something you know just uh, percentage wise. If that happens, that's where your policy then provides a really good floor. Blows the top off the ceiling because you got that opportunity up there. Yeah. So it's it's understanding how to use that and and making sure you can go deeper. And, and a guy with a 75% policy, it's really covering a catastrophic type of event. Yeah. It's not cat insurance, but it's covering a, a, cat, a catastrophic type of event. To, to lose 25% off the top, that's a lot of money. Yeah. That the grower doesn't want to give up because that's working capital. Oh, for sure. And so we don't want to see that. So it's it's finding a way to to make sure as and moving forward that the grower continues to see these other type of programs that are out there and and uh, and available to them. Okay. Well, I just want to thank you. Uh, so much of this is above my head, uh, which I love. I mean, it's and it's why we wanted to bring you on to talk about this with mm-hmm. our growers because so many of us, you know, in origination and our merchandising teams getting questions about this, right? Um, so we wanted to bring you on, but I want to go ahead and thank our listeners uh, for joining us today. And obviously, thank you, Scott, for joining us. Um, to our listeners, be sure to subscribe so that you don't ever miss one of our episodes um, and you stay up to date on the podcast.